Give it up. Give it up. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to TLC. Welcome to our soft opening here at our new location. I call it soft opening. You guys never know what soft opening is? Soft opening is like, you know, we open up the place to check it out and see what improvements we can make. So we've, we've moved actually from our trailers and we moved into the sanctuary. We've been here four years ago. At that time, uh, we were like just a band of like 20 people. And then the Lord kind of told us, you need to get out of here. <laughs> right? So we walked over to the trailer and then the Lord brought us back here four years later. And God, because um, we really believe we really believe that God wants to do something in this generation with us. And we want to believe that God is going to use us to change the life of people around us, right? If you guys saw that video, man, can I tell you guys something? Can I tell you something about this? Let me, let me break it down. For some of you guys who are new, you're like, what is going on? Like, what is, what is he saying? We're in a series called Game Changers, okay? And it's a series that was, that, that the heart of the series was to believe that God is going to use his people to change the game to change the game of this generation, to change the way people see and do life and change that trajectory for something that's going to flourish and bless them, right? And we, we really believe that and we really believe that God was going to do that. And so we, we developed a series and how crazy was it that this retreat, my first four messages, I literally lived out my first four messages in three days. You guys follow me? Like, the, my first message was really about trust the process, embrace the suck, because we're going to see God change. And what happens the first night? We were stuck out in the mud in the rain for two hours. Brothers were pushing vans. Literally, I said, guys, let's just go home. I was like, let's, we're done. Retreat's over. Let's go home, man, because I cannot deal with this anymore. But we just kept going, right? And then from that point on, what we saw was we saw God just step in and do so much work right? We talked about, like, just do it. Don't talk about it, but just step in and do it. And we see God's people at the retreat. We went down to, this, to the town of Hemet, and we were just sharing the faith. We were blessing the, the poor, right? We were talking. We were tearing. We were praying for them. It was just this movement that God was doing in this weekend with our community. It was, it was like a touch and a taste of what he wants to do with our church as a whole. So I'm so excited for what God's doing. I'm, and those guys who couldn't make it, right? I usually don't say FOMO, right? But you, you really missed out on this one, okay? You really missed out on this one. You know, I, I don't want to make you feel bad, but sometimes when we choose the Lord, I feel like no matter how bad it may be and whatever excuses we may have for it, when we choose him, we see what God does. And I, I, was, I was really blessed to see that, and I hope that next year you guys will be able to come and, and uh, be a part of that. But let me, uh, let's get down to business. What we're talking today is we're in a series called Game Changers. We believe that God wants to do something in you. We believe that God wants to use you to change the trajectory of the life around you. Not just, not just make your life better, but to change the trajectory of someone's life in your vicinity. Whether it is a friend, whether it is a sibling, whether it's your parents, whether it's family members, whether it's your colleague. That God has called us to step into the fray of the work that he is doing and to change that life's trajectory forever. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us, uh, our story, our testimony, have always been someone stepping into our lives, changing our trajectory, right? And so we really want to embrace that this year as a church. We, we move into this place with the faith and the hope that this, we're going to fill this place up because God's people are just going to go out there and change the trajectory of our community, our lives around our neighborhoods. We're going to change everything because that's what we believe. 
right? And so uh, this coming, uh, so this, this series, as, as we're going to go into it, we've talked about trusting the process, seeing the bigger picture, uh, just doing it. Talk is cheap, right? We talked about these things, and today I want to share with you as uh, an extra information about, hey, how do we begin to see the world? How do we begin to embrace and have the right mindset as we are going to step out there and become game changers? All right, so I have a video for you guys. It's going to set this, uh, this, this, uh, this message up, so if you guys can play that for me. It's not something I do. Well, It's not what I expected. You sure? All right, man. How, how many of y'all was fooled? How many of y'all was fooled by that? How many of y'all thought the guy was going to kill her? Right? The point was, is what viewpoint did you have when you were watching that, right? Were you, were you, were you thinking that this guy was going to hurt her, or did you actually think that he was going to save her? You didn't think so, right? And it depends on the viewpoint that you are coming at it with. You guys follow me, right? Today, I want to share with you a game changer, someone who's going to change the trajectory of the life of those around them. They have to have the right viewpoint. 
You got to have the right viewpoint if you want to make a difference in someone's life. You gotta make. You gotta have. You gotta see the world in the correct way if you want to change the life and the trajectory of someone around you, right? And so I'm gonna share with you how we go about what kind of viewpoints are out there today and how to actually have the right viewpoint. We're gonna share it to the book of James. We're going to the book of James. If you guys don't know, so let me break down James real fast for you guys. Okay, the book of James is, a, is written by James, right? He's the half brother of Jesus, and he was the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. So he was this pastor to a bunch of Jewish people, and then something happened. There was a huge persecution that broke out, and all these Christian Jews spread out to the known world. And everywhere they went, they formed pockets of churches all over, all over the Roman Empire. Right? Now, as they were out there, the main idea was you're supposed to be the game changer in your community, in your town, in your village, to your neighbors. You're supposed to go in there and live out the life of Jesus Christ in such a way where it transformed everyone else around you. But the problem was, as they were forming these little churches all over the Roman Empire, they started facing obstacles. They started facing persecution. They started facing problems, right? They couldn't get jobs because, one, the Roman people don't like Jews. So they said, we're not going to give you a job. And so then the Jews try to, you know, chum me up to their Jewish brethren, and the Jewish brethren don't like them either because they're Christians. So they couldn't get jobs, and even if they tried to get a permit to get a job, they got protested against. Their wives were harassed in the markets. Their children were tormented in school. They were facing a lot of obstacles, and so what happened was we started seeing this inward battle within the church. We started seeing issues like, uh, let me chum me up to the rich. Let me, let me, let me, let me kind of like... Um, Brown knows the rich to move up in my life, right? We started seeing issues like envy. Last week, if you guys were here, Evan, our youth director, he, uh, he, he shared about envy, about using your words to hurt people because you're envious of what's going on in their life. So we started seeing selfish ambition. We started seeing envy kind of creep, creep up into the church, and James writes them this letter to correct them. He writes them this letter to remind them what to do as a church. He writes them this letter to kind of recorrect their trajectory so that they, as a church, will go out and become game changers to their community, to their neighborhoods. Yes, follow me so far? And we're at the point here where he's going to address something. He's, he's going to address how do you view the world? Have you sat down long enough to think about the way you deal with and view this world? Have you sat down long enough to figure out what your worldview is, okay? So if you guys can open up your Bibles to James chapter 3, we're going to break it down. I'm going to preach for you guys today. Man, I'm in a new house, right? It echoes here. I love it. I can hear myself, right? And we're going we're gonna to break down the Word of God for you this afternoon, all right? James chapter 3, James chapter 3. First, let me, let me define for you the word. If you have that green Bible in front of you, right? Check it out. Hey, you guys, you're allowed to write in it. You're allowed to mark it up, okay? I want you guys to kind of, whatever you want to do, just make that Bible your Bible, right? If it, stick, if it helps you study, focus on that, right? Because we want you guys to see the Word of God as it is, all right? It's on page 848 if you're in that green Bible, okay? 848. All right, yes, right. I got you. I got you. 848, okay? All right, so worldview. A worldview is how you view the world. Right? It's how people live their life and how they view the world as is. So some people, their worldview, they, they, they kind of address life by, by being very health freak. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know those guys who can count calories? We have one in our church, right? We have, who can count. You, 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 you bring up, I mean, this is amazing. This is a gift that they have, right? 
you pull up a cake, and without even saying anything, 353 calories, right? I'm like, how do you even have 53? Can't you just like round touch it? Why, why would you even do it? I know, it's 353. Pull up a broccoli, that's five, right? Glass of water, zero. Got to guilt-free, go for it, right? I mean, like, they know. The, the world, they, the piece of wood, two calories. Like, how would you know that, right? It's a worldview, okay? It's how you see the world and how you address your life in the world. There are ways in which we see the world. Back in, back, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in a generation where when I was in high school, the worldview, especially because we're all Asians, we have the Asian pride worldview. You guys remember that? Right? Don't lie. AIM screen name. How many of y'all got the AZN in your AIM screen name, right? AZN, XX, cutie bird, little blue girl, angel, blah, 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 right? The, hey, not going to lie. Mine, right? Shameless. Asian lover, right? <laughs> Asian lover, right? I didn't even spell, you know, it's, it's spelled A-Z-1-A-N, right? It's not even like A-Z-N. I had to put the one in there because it's... Right? Shameless. You know, because we had, we had this Asian pride. So everyone had, like, you know, the, the bangs and the, and the hair and the dye. Oh, it's, it's how you view the world. You view the world through culture, right? A lot of you guys, anime, anime, anime people here, right? A lot of weebs, right? Is it weebles? 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 We, we, I, don't, I don't know, man, right? But anyways, you, you see the world, you see the world through the lens of anime. I, I had a kid in the last service, literally, he, he, prays, he plays on our praise team, right? He walks up and he's like, yo, killer B, yo. And I'm like, what? He's like, Killer B, yo. I'm like, what are you saying, man? I was like, don't you watch Naruto? I'm like, that's cool, man. I'm good. <laughs> right? I mean, they, they see the world through a certain lens, okay? And so what James is saying here, right? everyone sees it. We, we see it through religious lens, political lens, whether you lean right, you lean left, you're central, you're libertarian, you're, you're Republican, you're Democrat. There's ways in which we see the world. You see it through sex, right? Whether you're gay, straight, whatever else is after that, right? There's religious views in which you see the world through religious lens. Okay? Everyone has a worldview, but James is going to say this. Actually, he's going to break it down even easier for us. He said the whole world is actually broken down to two worldviews. There's only two worldviews. The way you see the world only breaks down to two. You guys get me? Two worldviews. Can I say these two words? Say elevate and say imitate. All right? The first worldview. Okay, look at verse 13 and verse 14, chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Check this out. So who is wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom, okay? The, word, the first worldview is something about the way you see the world that is going to direct the way you live. The way you see the world is going to direct the way you live, and what James is saying is the first worldview is saying you are going to elevate your heart. You're going to seek the glory of God. The first worldview is a worldview that is about selfless giving. It's not about taking. It's about selfless offering. It's about living your life, giving yourself to someone else, right? It is a worldview, right, that seeks to benefit those around you. Your heart is elevated. You elevate the way you see. You look towards the heaven, and you let that direct your actions, okay? When we, when we look into the Bible, you know, James saying the one way in which you, last uh, two weeks ago when I, was, when I was preaching, the one way in which you express your faith, the one way in which you show the world that your faith is real is that you care for the, for, care for the poor. You care for those who are in need because why? The person who is in need, right, they have no name. They have no place to live. They have nothing of their own. They know as a 
poor, needy person on the street, they know that they can only survive by the hand of grace, someone coming into their life and giving them a hand of grace. And so you, as a believer, to to show that you actually have faith, when you look at a poor person, right, you recognize that they don't have a name, they don't have a place, they have nothing to themselves, you recognize that you, before Christ, had no name. You, before Christ, had no place. You, before Christ, had no position. And if it was not for the hand of Jesus Christ coming down to pull you out, you would be nothing. And so the way in which you show that you understand that is that you care for the poor. You elevate your heart to seek glory to God by selfless giving. Right? When you look at a poor person and you refuse to help, it shows that you have forgotten what God has done for you. When you look at someone who is poor and you refuse to offer mercy or grace, it's a tall tale sign that you have forgotten personally of the grace that was given to you. You guys follow me? Right? And so James is saying the world and everything around it is broken down to two ways of seeing it. Either you're going to elevate or you're going to imitate. Right? When you elevate, what you're doing is you're going to see the world and you're going to seek for the benefit of others at a cost to you. You're seeking for the glory of God. Your life is going around asking, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? Even if it's out of my way, even if it's inconvenience to me, my worldview dictates and drives me to say, how can I bless I watched a message this past week. My wife loved it because the pastor was saying, I don't understand why men go to sleep well-rested. I don't understand why the brothers in my church go to sleep rested because God has called us to work, that you're supposed to be tired and wrung out because you have spent your day serving. When you are at work, you have spent your day giving yourself to whatever endeavor the Lord has given to you. When you have gone home after a long day, about to enter your house, and yes, you feel like you have the right and the privilege to watch TV and watch football, but instead you say, wife, how can I serve you? You play with your kids, and when your kids are put to bed, you talk to your wife, what can I do for you? You should not go to bed rested, he said. And I think the principle behind that, right, is that the life of a game changer, the life of a brother, the life of a man of God who actually understands this viewpoint, the viewpoint where you are elevating your heart, seeking the benefit of others. You're elevating your heart in such a way where you're seeking to bless people. You're not seeking to take from them. You're not seeking to selfishly gain something from them. You're not even trying to find a win-win situation, even though a lot of us, we try to do that. But you're willing to, even if it has a cost to you, step out there and be a blessing. That's selfless giving. You guys follow me? Right? It's like, it's like this. Some of you guys, you're, you're, you're in school. Let me ask you guys the question. You're in school. Why are you studying? Is it, is it not for your own personal benefit? Right? Maybe, maybe you're studying because your mom is nagging at you and you just cannot... You just want her to stop nagging, so you just, you're in your studies doing the best you can because you want the nagging to stop. It's for your own personal desire. It's for your own personal benefit, is it not? Right? Even the good things we do. Let me check that. Look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, the 
14. This is what it says here. But if you harbor bitter envy, right? If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Because he's saying, James, there's, there's a second worldview out there. There's a second worldview out there that basically tells us to say imitate. Look at it and say imitate. Imitate. Imitate is that you are trying to imitate what everyone else is doing. And what is everyone else doing? Fighting for their own. Fighting for what's mine. Right? What is everyone else doing? They're selfishly taking. You're seeking glory for yourself. You want your name to be known. You want your personal deeds to step and be heard of. You want your benefit, not someone else's benefit. Now, if, if by chance you benefit someone, that's great. But the main driving motivation was for your benefit. See, James is saying there is two viewpoints out there. It is either to elevate the heart or imitate others. Either you are seeking for the glory of God or you're seeking for your glory of self. Either you are selflessly giving or you're selfishly taking. See, even the good that you do. I mean, some of you guys think, well, PT, I, I do good. I mean, I don't really see God, but I do pretty good. Can I tell you guys something? Even the good that you do, is it not for your own personal fulfillment? Right? Some of you guys say, I want to be doctors. Right? Why? I want to help people. Really. To be honest, right? It's for the name. Or at least, first of all, it's for the name. If you're Asian, your mom's like, I want you to be a doctor because I want to tell everyone that I have a doctor's son. Right? It's like, his name. The position. The glory. And then, as a byproduct, I also help people. You know? See, you do it with the trajectory for what? Your personal fulfillment. You do it because you want something out of it. Even when you study those of you guys are in college, some of you guys are studying, you're like, yeah, because I want, one, I don't want my mom nagging me anymore, I want to go to school so I can do this. But honestly, sometimes you do it because you're thinking, if I can just get that, it'll be good enough for me. All right? The way we approach work, education, family, marriages, you're seeking for your personal fulfillment. And James is saying this, would you elevate and not imitate? Would you elevate rather than imitate? Would you, would you seek to give rather than take? Would you seek for the glory of God rather than the glory of self? Because one is going to actually change the world, the other one is actually going to kill you, right? Two worldviews, okay? Always elevate, never imitate. Let me tell you, what's the wisdom behind this? What's, what's, what's the wisdom of why we go through what each worldview? What, why is the, what's the wisdom of, of gaining or living my life according to a worldview of imitating? Check this out. Look at verse uh, 15. He says this, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. See, the problem that was going on in the church at this time was we had a group of people seeking selfish ambition. We have another group of people that was envious of others. And so together, they were just creating a mess in the church. And James is saying, why are you imitating and not elevating? Why are you imitating everyone else around you? Because everyone fights for their own rather than elevating and living for something else. 
Because I can tell you, James wants them, listen, James wants them to change wherever they're at. They want to change the trajectory of friends, of family, of people around you for the good. And he's saying, why imitate rather than elevate? So the reason why people imitate, you don't know why? Because a worldview that seeks for yourself seeks for the immediate satisfaction, never for the eternal, Right? Remember I told you, if you're a game changer, the one thing you have, the one, the one characteristic you have is you're, you see the big picture. But someone who lives for themselves, someone who is selfishly taking what they want is immediately, what does it benefit me? Immediately, does it make me feel good? Immediately, does it make me feel wanted or make me feel satisfied? It teaches you to chase, but you don't even know where you are going, Right? It teaches you to chase after something, but you don't even know what you're chasing after. How many of us we see, we see like, you go to school, you're thinking like, man, I can't wait till I get a job, because you're looking at all the brothers and sisters in the, in here is working, right? they all got jobs, you're like, man, they look like they're so financially sound, they look like things are going great, life is good, so they have a house, they have a car, their wives love them, look, like, things are great, right? But when you get to their position, what do you find out? This is it? <laughs> what? What's so big? What? What? Like, why did it look so good for a moment? I was chasing after this, right? And some of you guys who are working, you're thinking like, man, if I can just get a job, I can have that vacation because I saw these Instagram posts of, you know, girls holding their hands, like, come follow me, right? And then what do you do? You, you go and you like, you get there, and you're like, yeah, what? Like, what is this place, right? But, you, but you, what do you do? You imitate it anyways. We got here. We got here. So let's just, let's just show everyone we got here too. Right, so you hold the hand, like, just follow me, right? And everyone watching you, like, yeah, I want to get there. We're chasing, but you don't know what you're chasing because all you're doing is imitating. Right? How many of you guys have been here long enough to hear the story of uh, Strider the Caterpillar? Raise your hand. Strider, Strider the Caterpillar, right? A few of you guys? Some of you guys are like, I know it. Please don't say it. I'm going to share because half of you guys don't know it, right? So right, this, this is the beauty of running out of illustrations because the good ones last forever. So let me share with you an illustration about Strider the Caterpillar, okay? So you're thinking, what is this about? Strider the Caterpillar, it is a story. It's kind of like a Dr. Seuss story for adults, okay? Strider the Caterpillar is, is set in the world of caterpillars, okay? And here's this caterpillar, pop, came out of an A. He's just strolling around, striding around, okay? And he's trying to figure out what to do with his life. He's looking around, he's, just, he's watching everyone moving in a certain direction. He's like, where are you guys going? But he's just kind of walking with them. Where are you guys going? We're going to the pillar. Like, What's at the pillar? We got to get there, right? So he's like, okay. He's striding to this pillar. They're like, yeah. So like, how big is the pillar? It's huge. It's awesome. Have you seen it? Never. But this is where we need to go because everyone's going there. He's like, okay. So we go back and we, we, we get to this, we, he gets to this pillar and it's this really long column that reaches to the heavens. And he's like, okay, what do we do now? We got to climb it. Like, what's on top? Something amazing, right? Everyone's there. We got to get there. That's the place where we need to be, right? Let's move there. It's for, so they start, he starts, he starts climbing this, 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 this pillar, chasing, striding, day in and day out. Some caterpillars, they got tired, they let go, and they're like, I'm done, and they fall back, right? Others are kind of like, you know, keep moving, keep striding, keep, and he's getting up there. And he's at a, he's one day. Finally, after like days and days of work, he finally got almost, he's, he can see the top of the pillar as it presses over the sun. He's like, I'm almost there. No one else is around him because apparently his group all gave up, right? He's striding. He's, I'm going to get there. I've been chasing after, after this, this pillar for ages. Finally, 
I'm going to get to the top. And right before he gets to the top, he hears two voices on top, right? One voice cries out, what? This is it? There's nothing here. And the other voice said, shh, shh. But they don't know that. They don't know that. And he's like, what? And so how many of us are like that? How many of us are like that? We look forward and we try to make examples of certain people. We're thinking, man, I just can't wait to get to where they're at. But you, don't, you haven't talked to them long enough for, them, for you to hear what they have to say because they've been chasing too. And when they got there, they're like, this is it? This is, the only joy they have, you know what the only joy they have is? Is to fool you into thinking that getting here is great. Because they got fooled in getting there. They got fooled into making it. So they, they, the only thing that I have left to live for is to convince them that this is the life. While they do what? Chase after the next pillar. Because they're thinking there's nothing here because it must be over there, right? So they're chasing there all the while trying to convince everyone else to chase here. I mean, we see that. Right? We, we, we see brothers and sisters, you know, talking about the drinking culture. and Like, yeah, just, let's just, it's so fun. Just go out there and just get crazy, bunked, uh, crazy drunk and just, just have a good time. And then the only joy they have when they get there, right? After, like, you know, their misery and their drama and all that stuff happens, there's nothing here for me. But let's just try to convince them that time traveling is cool, right? right? Let's just convince them that blacking out while you drink is awesome. And everyone who comes after you like, yes, that's what I want. My face all drawn over. That's what I need in my life, right? And so, so what happens? What happens? The wisdom of imitating the worldview that's about selfish taking, the worldview that's about self-glory, it's a worldview that is driven, driven to get us to imitate others because we're seeking for the immediate benefits. Is that true? Don't we see that? And James is saying that. You know what that creates? Ambition, envy. Why are you envious? Because I want to be like them. When, they, when you get to, like, looking like them, you realize, this is it. What's the joy in this? Selfish ambition. I want, I want to make that much money. I want to have that car. I want to have that, that house. I want to have that land. I want to have that business. And when you get there, you realize, this is it? What's the purpose of this? What was this about? Because all you thought about was this immediate moment. You didn't see the big picture. But God is saying, but James is saying this, hey, game changers. A game changer seeks not for the immediate, but the eternal. A game changer seeks for others is the one that gives life, not takes life. A game changer, right, seeks, seeks to give their life away. See, James's audience, the people he was writing to, they had every right to say, come on, throw me a bone. Throw me a bullet. I've, I call myself a Christian. I'm out here. I'm trying to do my thing. Things aren't going right for me. I have every right to demand personal gain. But James writes to them and he says what? Though they despise you, bless them. Though they hate you, love them. Though they persecute you, pray for them. Be 
people, look at verse 17, 18. This is what he says. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I get it. I get why you want to imitate, but I'm calling you to elevate. I get why you want to live a worldview where you are imitating everyone else, selfishly taking, seeking for your own self-glory. But can I tell you that if you really want to make a change, if you really want to change the trajectory of people around you and the world itself, if you really have the heart, not to change, but to really make things new, you got to elevate. You got to elevate. Though they hate you, bless them. Though they despise you, love them. Though they persecute you, pray for them. Did they, did the church change the game? Did did the churches that that James wrote to change the game? Oh, yeah, they did. Oh, yes, they did. Because they were willing to live their life with one viewpoint. The viewpoint to elevate. They changed the world around them. You guys realize, I have, let me give you some history here. 250 AD, the church in Rome. The church in Rome took care of more than 1,500 poor people. They loved them. Took them off the street. Cared for their wounds. Blessed them. 1,500 poor people. 80 years after, we have this letter, by the way, history. You can actually go to a museum and read this letter written by the emperor of Rome to his imperial court yelling at them, saying, why is it that you guys are doing nothing when the Christians are taking over everything? They're not only taking care of their poor, they're taking care of everyone else's poor. They changed the game forever. And so what began as just loving and blessing the community, what began as just seeking for the benefit and the blessing of others around them, what began as just having a worldview of giving rather than taking, turned into a movement of transformation. It turned into a movement where people changed the way you saw sex, people changed the way you saw life, people changed the way you saw women. Everything changed. You want to see game change? You want to see real changes in this world? Can I tell you, would you have the viewpoint to give and elevate rather than to imitate and take? Can I tell you what the church did? I'm pretty sure some of you guys have heard this before, but let me, let me tell you what the church did. They gave more rights to women than any culture at that time. I know we look back on this and we think like the patriarch, they're so evil, right? But the Christian faith elevated the status of a woman unlike any other faith or any worldview out there up to that point. Back then, if you were a, a woman who have lost your husband you are, and there's no money in your family, you are absolutely thrown on the streets to die. You have no right, you have no privilege, you have nothing. And you know what the Christians did? The Christians said, you can remarry if you like, but if you choose to stay a widow, we will care for you. Come and live with us. Be our mom. Come and live with us. Be our sister. Come and live with us. Share your wisdom. Come, partake in the fellowship of church and community. Sit among the wealthy and poor, the rich, the privileged, because you are with us, not below us. The church elevated the idea of sexuality to such a degree that it blew everyone's mind. They said, 
hey, we will share with you our homes. We will share with you our food. We will share with you our last crumb, but we will not share with you our bed. An ancient culture where you could sleep with whoever's wife and just kind of it's like a, just orgy for fun, right? The Christians stepped up and said, no, we, we value the sacredness of sexuality. We value the sacredness of the marriage bed. And so it comes in, and because of a viewpoint that's willing to give, a viewpoint that's willing to live for others, it transformed that culture forever. You guys understand that? The church has such a sacred view of life, such a sacred view of life, that as the Romans were throwing out their young infant daughters because it was women, because the girls can't do anything, hoping for a boy, the Christian church walks in the middle of the alley in the middle of the night in Egypt, Coptic Egypt, and they pick up these young girls, take them into their home, nurse them, adopt them, raise them as their own daughters because they value life. And it changed the game because then life begins to have value. They didn't just throw out girls because they were useless and worthless. They saw a girl and they saw worth, privilege, beauty, creation. Game changer. You guys realize that? You have an option. See, God wants to do something in our church, guys. Can I tell you? God wants to do something in our generation, and he is waiting, and he is calling his people into it. But what needs to happen is that you will stop imitating and start elevating. Right? All you're hearing it, right? You got to stop imitating and start elevating. You got to stop seeking for your selfish gain and seeking for your selfless giving. Seek for the glory of God versus the glory of self. Because history tells us that when God's people step into that, when God's people have the courage and the audacity to step into that, when God's people have the courage and the audacity to fight for a marriage and to bless a marriage and to strengthen a marriage, to fight for the role of a man and a wife, to understand the responsibility of each, when the church has the courage to go out there and bless and save and, and, and take care of those who have been wrongly accused or those who are foreigners and widows and orphans, blessing them, history tells us they changed the world. In every generation, God calls his people to do the same. Can I tell you, look at one another and say, you're a game changer. Look at them in the eye, right, and say, you in Christ are a game changer. Oh, man. Oh, I I know y'all. Oh, man, man, man. Right? If, look, if retreat was any indication, listen, if retreat was any indication whatsoever, God's people, when they step out of their comfort zone for 30 seconds, having the courage to do something outside what's normal, to bless and to care, in 30 seconds, actually within two hours, within two hours, each group, each person blessed one person. Each person changed for a moment the trajectory of someone else. That's only two hours. If you're willing to have the courage to make that your life, to make that viewpoint, to elevate yourself as the consistent, committed way of living, you can change your family, you can change your work, you can change your community, you can change the world. It doesn't matter what 
political leaning you are. It doesn't matter your culture, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what you value. But if you're willing to seek for that, to elevate your heart, to seek for the glory of God, you can change the world. Now, here's a question. Here's a question. That's cool, PT. Appreciate that. Thank you. Right? But how do I move from one viewpoint to the next? Right? If, if, okay, PT, I, I recognize that my life, honestly, I'll try to deny it. I'll try to justify it. But let's be honest, my life is pretty selfish. My life has really been about me. I mean, I'll, I'll, like, I'll throw in a bone here and there about like loving people and kind of caring for people extra, but the, really the, the trajectory of what I do is about me, right? I want things to be for, I want the comfort, I want the ease, I want the simplicity. It's really been about how do I go from that chasing after nothing to seeing glory? What's going to get me to go from one viewpoint to the next viewpoint? What's going to get me to stop imitating and start elevating? What is it? Oh, say it loud. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, man. If you did like, what? Yes, church. Jesus. Can can I? me, me. You're like, how? How? Let me show you. Let me tell you. Man, this is the heart of this. Do you guys realize that you are at war with God because you sought for your own glory? You sought for your own glory, and now you're battling over and over, and he's saying, why seek for a glory that is so small when I have given you, when I'm willing to give you my glory? And what we see in Jesus is that he brokered a deal. He brokered a deal of peace. He brokered brokered a deal to take this selfish, imitating heart and elevated. He brokered a deal signed by his blood and by his body. Do you know why? Do you know why you are envious? Do you know why you want to imitate others because you're so envious of their life, their style, what's going on, that you're constantly trying to pretend to get to where they're at, always looking forward and chasing after us? Do you know why envy is there? Because you want something, don't you? You want something in your heart is seeking for a glory that you somehow lost. And you just, I just want that because I feel like if I have that, whether it's a name, whether it's a title, whether it's a position, whether it's a material good, whatever it is, you feel, if I could just have that, I would feel satisfied. And you chase after it. And yet all the while, Jesus is saying, I broke the deal. I broke the deal by my blood, by my body, to seal in it forever that you will have and want of nothing. I brokered a deal so that you in me, before God the Father, will always be a son and daughter of a king. I brokered a deal to make you royal. I brokered a deal to turn you from peasant, from nothing, into royalty. Look at the person next to you and say, in Christ, you're royalty. Oh, say it like like you mean it. In Christ, you are royalty, right? Can I tell you, if you understand this, listen to me. If If Jesus Christ is who he says he is, okay? Let's just stop there. If Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he, if he, if he has done what he has done, do you know what position you have in him? 
Do you know what position you have in them? You will, you, you want, you will want of nothing because you have everything. You have everything that you can possibly, it's knowing what you are truly, who you truly are. When you truly know who you are, what your identity and who you are, you don't seek and envy someone else's identity. When you know your true identity, you don't seek and fight for another identity because you, why go for it when I know who I am? I don't need to be first. I don't need to be top of my class. I don't need to fight for that project manager position. Or I don't need to like lose myself because I didn't get it. I know who I am. And I can lose. Because my position, my rightful position, my rightful heir is I am royalty. I know that sounds kind of like, you're like, that sounds kind of silly, PT. Like, royalty? We're in America, man. Like, what is this, kings and queens? But, hey, man. I just deliver the mail. I don't write it, okay? If the Bible says you're royal, it means you're royal, okay? I mean, I, I don't know. But like, that's, what I'm, that's what it says, okay? Right? You are a royal priesthood, the Bible says. Heirs to the kingdom of God. That's who you are. And if you know who you are, you're not going to imitate, right? People who know who they are, they never imitate anyone else, right? Don't you know that, right? If you know who you are, you don't need to copy someone. It's when you're insecure, is when you don't have your identity solid. Right? Some of you guys think, oh, I'm, I'm pretty solid. Yeah, you're solid now because you think you're better than everybody here, right? Wait till you get to a position where you're lower than everybody. Then you're going to be like, I'm not that solid, right? Yeah, it, it happens, isn't it? I mean, right now you think, I'm, I'm pretty much better than everybody in this room, so I'm good, right? But then what happens when you go to your workplace, your business meetings, or your business, and you, you're around like, Six-figure, seven-figure people, yacht-owning bosses, and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody, right? You're only as good as where you surround yourself with. See, but your true identity. Can I tell you, if you have a true identity in Christ, if you understand what he has done for you, you could be the poorest man and stand before the richest man and realize you are no inferior to this guy. You can stand with confidence. You can speak with authority. Because you know in Christ, you and him are both sinners before God. This, this guy's money, this guy's position has no claim over you. And you know who you are. You have want for nothing. But here's the second thing. You know why you seek selfish ambition? You know why you seek selfish ambition? You want, you want, you want the extra zero on your paycheck, the extra bathroom in your house, the bigger kitchen, right? That's me. I want a bigger kitchen, right? You know why? Because you want to make a name for yourself, right? You want to make a name for yourself. One of the, one of the biggest fears, can I tell you, can I pass this confession? You know, one of the biggest fears of moving into, this, into the sanctuary, right? My biggest fear is actually that we do grow. I know that sounds kind of, what? My biggest fear is that we actually do grow. You know why? There's a huge temptation. Oh, man, there's a huge temptation that I did it, right? PT, right? Because when, when they think of the church, they think of the pastor, don't they? Right? Oh, PT did it. Make a name for it. So I was like, man, let's just stay in this trailer for as long as possible. But to move in here is to know that it can grow. Right? Man, it can grow. And if it does, oh, man. But that's selfish ambition. You guys get me? Selfish ambition. You know why we want that? Because we want a name. We want our name to be known. We want to be recognized. We want that glory. But Jesus Christ brokered the deal. 
by his blood and by his body. And he said, what? I have given you a name. Oh, I, I have written a name for you that no one else knows. A name of glory. A name that makes the heavens shake. A, ma- a name when spoken angels will bow. I have given you a name and a position. You will one day before God stand in Christ and he will give you a rock. I know it sounds kind of weird. He will give you a rock and upon that rock when you flip it over is your name that he has given to you. A name that he's always seen you as. A name of glory. And the only thing is that you don't realize you have that name. And so you live your life seeking for every other name possible. Seeking to imitate rather than to elevate. You guys get me? Right? You see, in Christ Jesus, to the degree in which we understand what he has brokered for us, is to the ability for us to change the viewpoint of imitating to elevating. A viewpoint from selfish taking to selfless giving. A viewpoint that is all about us to him. A viewpoint that leaves you destroyed, chasing, empty, and lost to one that changes lives and changes the world. Right? He has called us to be game changers. I believe it, church. I believe it so much. Right? And I, I, I battle with you in this journey of faith. I battle with you in the journey of envy and selfish ambition. Right? Pastors have selfish ambitions too, man. You don't know. Right? We ain't holy. Right? Some of you guys who know, you know it ain't holy, right? But what? We're on this journey of growth together, amen? Right? It, don't, it doesn't matter if you take three steps forward and two steps back some days, you still took one step forward, right? You got me? So let's come before the Lord. Praise him, can we come up?